I used to be very proud of the term, like, oh, yeah, I'm an Oreo. People would call me that, and I would just laugh and giggle, and I'd think it was so funny. And the older I get, it's like, no, I am, I'm not an Oreo. I'm a Black person just because I'm educated, just because I talk a certain way, just because I have a career, just because I don't do X, Y, Z, in your opinion, does not mean I'm less of a Black person. I'm still Black, and I don't have to prove my Blackness. Navigating identity has been a huge topic of conversation lately for so many people, including myself. I believe it takes a lot of work and personal deep diving into your own values and desires, background, culture, and belief systems to transform into the person you want to be. I recognize that the color of my skin has made navigating so much of my life and identity and where I fit into society far easier for me than it has for the people in the Black, Indigenous, and people of color communities around the world. Welcome to The Safe Haven, a space for stories to be shared about the lights and darks, highs and lows of life. When I found Bree's account on Instagram, I was immediately inspired by her passion for teaching. You can tell that Bree puts her entire heart and soul into her career. If you didn't know already, I'm a teacher too. I teach high school and spent a few years teaching elementary school and more recently, alternative education. So I was super drawn to Bree's page. Brianna teaches special education. She works with students with a variety of needs and ability levels and moves through her life heart first. From her own lessons and struggles in life, she's developed a deep sense of empathy and she works hard to create a safe and engaging learning environment for her students. Her love of Disney and yoga led us into some fabulous chats about finding balance in life and how Brie has navigated her own identity. I truly loved my conversation and my time with Brie, which started with how her life had led her into teaching. Okay, so um, growing up, I was always the kid that played school. Um, I was always the person that was like, you know, making fake papers, grading, Mm -hmm. you know, you guys are the students. Or if I had stuffed animals, like they were the students and whatnot. And actually, um, it was always between like wanting to be a teacher and wanting to be a doctor. And I was an OBGYN specifically, (laughs) yes. And I, up until my ninth grade year, I was on track to being a doctor. Like everything I was looking into was OBGYN, what residency I want to get into, what school I need to get into. And then I had, um, and I can't even remember the experience specifically, but I had the small experience with a student with disability, and I just felt like drawn to the unknown um, of my experience with this student. And um, I also remember in middle school, there was always this girl in my class, and this is going to sound really bad. This is the evolution of being a teacher and knowing these things now, Mm -hmm. but like, I felt bad because like, Nobody was really, really talking with her and connecting with her. And I was definitely like overstepping at the time being in middle school. But that was just me trying to like understand. So I think as time went on, I had like these other small experiences with spends, exposures. I was like, man, I really want more understanding into this field. And that totally changed my profession from wanting to be a doctor to being a teacher, special ed Mm -hmm. teacher. And it's so funny people hear that. They're like, what? You want to be a teacher or being a doctor? And I'm like, yes, yes, I do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) this is my passion. This is my purpose. And honestly, ever since I made the decision to switch to being a teacher, everything has um, just started, doors started opening. Everything has felt very natural. Um, I work with kids at my church. I babysat a lot. I named a lot during college. I became a para 
before I was a teacher. So like every door that opened just led me more and more and more to the position that I'm in today, which is special education and ever. And then stepping more into that role, like with my education as well, even after my undergrad, man, it's like doors are just opening. Like this is my place. This is my purpose in life. That's so beautiful. And I love that you just say that everything fell into place because I feel like the universe really does have our back. If we've made a decision that's heart led, that things just start to line up. Yes. I love hearing that. So where did you go to university? So I went to Columbus State University. It's right here in my hometown. Um, I actually first went to a junior college. I'm a huge proponent for going these first. Um, I had got a academic scholarship full ride to be like a school ambassador. So I did that for my freshman and sophomore year. And then I transferred to the bigger university here in my hometown. And I finished out my SPED degree here and got my undergrad. Uh, mega kudos on the full ride scholarship. That is incredible. Thank you. That's, that is amazing. So how long have you been teaching for now? So I've been teaching for two years, but mm-hmm. I've been working with um, the autism population for four years because I was a, a para, paraprofessional or teacher's assistant. There's so many different names for it mm-hmm. um, during my um, undergrad years. And then um, I student taught and then I became a teacher. Mm-hmm. When you have your master's in education, is that something that you need to have or that you just wanted to further your own personal education in teaching before getting a job? So actually, <laughs> I laugh because everybody says I'm crazy when I tell them <laughs> this. Um, I did my master's during my first year of teaching. What? And <laughs> yes. <laughs> I know. I know. I don't know how. I don't. It was by the grace of God. I'm a really big spiritual person, but... Um, it was by the grace of God that I got through that year. And of course, with my support system and friends and family, but oh my goodness, I was so stressed. Um, but to answer your question, I'm sorry. So <laughs> I got my master's because my undergrad was in more interrelated special education teaching, and there's so many different names in SPED. So interrelated was more of working with children with um, learning disabilities and working more in a co-taught or inclusive classroom. Mm-hmm. And the kind of classroom I teach in is more of a um, self-contained classroom working with more like like autism, Down syndrome, you know, fr- medical fragile, severe and profound, moderate, mild disabilities. So I got my master's because I was like, I really want to understand what I want to do more. Like I found what I want to do. Like there's different like niches in education, like Mm -hmm. you're a teacher and then you could be an elementary teacher. Then you could be a a lower grade teacher. Then you're a kindergarten teacher. That's Mm -hmm. your niche. And that's Mm -hmm. how it is in SPED. You're a SPED teacher. You work with all these disabilities. Yes. But then there's different like areas of SPED. And this area of SPED for me was self-contained, moderate to severe disabilities. So I wanted to get my education um, and further that, just to um, just to kind of solidify and, and learn more of the research behind what I do in the classroom, because I worked in a um, autism classroom for two years before I got my teaching position. So I was like, you know what? I want to learn more about this. I want to learn more of the research behind it, not mm-hmm. just what I see in the classroom, which when I did my master's, they both went hand in hand. So it was really cool. Yeah, that's fabulous. What's your classroom support like or what's the the makeup or the ratio of students to support staff? So there are three adults and seven students in the classroom. There's a teacher, two pairs, and there's seven students. And um, the support of the classroom is we do get a BCBA. We don't have one for every school in my town, but um, she does come as often as she can to support us with behaviors or be there for IEP meetings or to update us on um, 
district changes. And then we also have um, a lead. We had, so this is unusual too, but my school had five autism classrooms, which wow. is very unusual, right? So we also had a um, team lead who we would go to as well, who would support us. That's fabulous support. Like that's a, that's a really great ratio. I know at the high school that I went to here, actually, um, there's, they call it the PALS class. As they work through their program, it's so wonderful. How, and obviously, like I said, that's a high school aspect of it. But as you work through the PALS program, there's so much about the real world that's brought into the classroom. And then there's so much of the classroom that you can actually take outside. Do you have the flexibility? Uh, obviously, without COVID going on and without lockdown, but in a normal teaching year, do you have the ability and the go ahead to either bring people in or do you have guest speakers come in or do you have people that come in from the community? They might, whether it is a guest speaker or whether it is, you could have OPP officers come in or you could have nurses come in or something like that. Um, so I, I did want to have um, volunteers in my classroom, but because of the um, intensive support for some of my students that varies from year to year, sometimes I have to gauge like, um, would it be safe for somebody to come in or um, would it be safe for the kids? And just like having that confidentiality that there are opportunities though for the school as a whole where our students get to see like um, one of our hockey teams that are here in town, they came to um, speak to our oh, school nice. and we took our kids to do that. Yeah, it was, it was pretty um, cool and interesting. And then um, like we have dare and whatnot that comes and we have the opportunity, our principal, she tries to be as inclusive and she'll like reach out and be like, Hey, you know, would your kids like to be a part of opportunity and stuff like that. But I know for my classroom specifically, I didn't have a lot of people coming into my classroom due to the um, intensive like need that I had. I had to always gauge that. Mm -hmm. But I always had people from outside of the community who wanted to um, give to my classroom. And they understood that too. They never took it as like, oh, she doesn't want me there. But they always wanted to give and support my classroom and my students too. That's so nice. And it's grade three, you said? I have, well... In the autism classroom, I had grade K through five. K through five. Okay. Yes. And then, so I guess you would have repeat students, I think, which would be so beautiful. Year after year, you'd have the same kids coming back to your classroom? Yes. Um, I did have um, two repeaters in my classroom. Um, it was funny because one of them I had, well, actually both of them, I worked with them as their pair at first. And um, I was one of one of them. I was his one-on-one -on -one student. And then I became his teacher for the past um two years. So now that I'm going to a new position next school year, it broke my heart to be leaving him because I've been with him for so long. He's been with me for so long. Mm -hmm. What's your new position? So my new position is going to be a K through two MOID teaching position. It's still sped, but what I'll be doing is I'll be working with more moderate disabilities okay. and um, it's going to be more um, academic based. Like we do academics in the autism program, yes, but um, I feel like it's a little more behavior-based and more functional-based, and then my new position is more functional and academic-based. Mm. That's kind of the difference um, between those two positions, so I'm really excited about that. Right, and your ratio is still going to be the same with about seven students to three teachers? There'll be three teachers, but um, I want to say the ratio will be 10 students. Mm -hmm. Yes, I'll, I believe bigger. it's 10 Yeah. Yeah. When you mentioned your own time in high school and – like, I love, I love how you honored that evolution in teaching about how we just learn things as we grow and as we get older and as we experience new things. So to look back, feeling sorry for someone isn't necessarily the wrong thing. It's just that that's where you're at right now and you don't know any different, right? So I love how you acknowledge that. 
But in high school in particular, what was your own high school experience like? Did you enjoy high school? So I had a pretty good high school experience. I had, you know, good friends. I was involved in sports. I felt like, I mean, I wasn't popular, but I felt like I was pretty like well-known and people knew who I was and I knew who other people were. But um, high school for me personally, um, it was a trying time. So I would not want to go back to high school years. But looking back on it now as a, an adult, I'm like, my high school years were actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. Are you able to elaborate a little bit on your high school years being a bit trying for you? Yes. Yeah, so um, at the time, I did not have the best relationship with my mom. Um, I just remember every day, I'm laughing about it now, but every day I'm like my freshman year of high school, like there would always be something that like would cause an argument, you know? of course, typical like teen mom relationship. Mm -hmm. And I like was also very insecure. I didn't have a lot of self-esteem back in high school and switching between churches. I used to be, so my freshman, sophomore year, I went to a very um, Pentecostal church or apostolic. And then we left that church and went to a non-denominational church. And it just kind of opened my eyes to like a different world out of the church I used to be in. Mm-hmm. So um, I was like transitioning from like not having self-esteem and finding a little bit more of myself to trying to like open those doors. So high school was like, high school felt like middle school years to me, mm-hmm. <laughs> honestly. Yeah. Pre-recording, you and I had mentioned a little bit about identity and about how mm-hmm. identity is something that you've navigated through the majority of your life, but mostly your teen and into your adult years. Can you elaborate mm-hmm. a little bit on that or maybe some challenges that you've had yourself with navigating identity? Yes. Yeah, so when I was younger, my mom always used to say, like, you always want to be able to say who you are. Like, you don't want to define yourself by the things you do, even though that is the makeup of who you are. But you want to be able to say you're more than just, you know, I'm more than just Bree the teacher. I'm more than just Bree the friend. I'm more than just Bree the daughter, you know. Um, and I do talk about myself in third person sometimes. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I want to be, I wanted to be able to say, who am I breathe to the core? And, um, I used to always struggling, struggle with that. Like, who am I? Who, like, who am I to myself? Not who I am to other people, but who am I to myself? So in high school, um, middle school and high school, I never felt seen, even though I had a lot of looking back on it now, I did have a lot of support around me and I had my mom and my sisters and I had some good friends. I never felt seen. I always felt like I was in the background and, um, just, okay. So an example of this would be, I went to a leadership conference in the eighth grade, which blew my mind because I was like the most like quietest person in my opinion, um, in middle school. Mm -hmm. But my teachers, they always said like, Oh, we see something in you. And I was like, okay, I don't know what y'all see, but all right. So when I went to this conference, you know, like, you know, how people see stuff in you, yeah. you don't see yourself. So when I went to this conference, um, it was like, it's basically like model UN debaters, stuff like that. I've always been interested in that. And we had this leadership exercise where you had to talk as much as you could and get your point across. But in the exercise, um, as soon as it started, we had like five minutes and I just remember sitting there and I was like, what am I going to say? And I, I literally, I only said seven things. and I only know that because the um, facilitator of the, the group had said it to me and she said, so-and-so said, talk 40 times. So-and-so talked 20 times. So-and-so talked this many times. And then she said, Brianna talked seven times. And I was shocked that my name was even mentioned. She said, even though she talked seven times, what she said was very powerful. And that stuck with me all through my life because that's my identity. Like, even though I may not feel seen or I may not feel supported, 
well, at the time I didn't, now I feel more seen in anything. What I have to say, my personality, my being is still, I still have something powerful to bring to the table. That is amazing. I love that you remember that so clearly. It's so crazy. Like I always think about that and I wish I could remember um, like the people I was with and the teacher, but I can't, but I just remember that exact experience. So you're able to get your point across more precisely and in a more concise manner than everyone else, which is, that is a skill in itself. And the fact that people were still listening, that's amazing. Yes. Cause it was like, it was like a group of 20, 20 eighth graders. Yeah. So you feel like you can't like really speak up. And then to me, that was intimidating back then too. Like, Oh no, you know, if I speak up, what if I sound dumb? But it just, it was still, it's still profound to me that whatever those seven things I said in that exercise was still profound enough for that teacher to say, Hey, like this was important. Brianna said this, even though the point of the exercise was how many times can you get your point across and talk in the exercise? I like that. I'm interested in knowing a little bit more about that exercise, to be honest. That's really cool. I'll have to look that up. Me too, because it was it was at that little conference and then I never I never did it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pre-recording as well. You'd also mentioned um, a term that I'm starting to understand, code switch. Mm-hmm. Can you elaborate a little bit on that just for the listeners? Because I feel like there, I know that there's a podcast out there called Code Switch. Uh, code Switch, just even flipping back and forth through identities. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? And then I have a secondary question to that. Okay. So code switching is when you have to act. It's kind of like performing. So if I'm in a room full of my closest friends, I'm going to be one way with them. I can have a certain dialect with them. I can have a certain tone. I can have this like comfortability with them. But if I am with um, other people outside of that, like at work or to be very specific because of what's going on today, other white people who don't really know me like that, I may be a little more, my dialect may be different. My wording may be different. Um, I may not be as relaxed. So it's kind of like, you know, in certain situations, which way to act and which way to not act. And that's code switching to me. Mm-hmm. So my part B to that was in what ways have you caught yourself code switching? Um, it would always be in. So in pre-recording, I, you know, I made the statement about being the black token and um, I'm always in environments where it's normally just me. who's the black person in the room or me and maybe two or three other black people in the room, you know, Somebody like me, I read the room very quickly and I have to read the vibe because not everybody's going to understand where I'm coming from. Or if something does happen in the room, I may be the only one advocating for myself in that room. So I've learned how to code switch and basically perform in certain situations where I'm like, if I don't feel comfortable and that may not necessarily be the case, but if I'm feeling that when I'm reading the room, that is, that's what's going to happen. I'm going to put up this, this kind of guard and be like, okay, this is the situation I'm in. And then when I'm out of that situation, I can be myself. It's yeah. So much has been going on in the world. There are so many new terms that people are deep diving into and just trying to understand, which is great. I mean, like we've, like we've said, it's long overdue that this learning is taking place, but, but that term in particular, I mean, I feel like it can apply to anyone, but the way that you articulate it is, is wonderful. So I appreciate that so much. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I wanted to also ask about hobbies and personal practices. So when you are not teaching, and I love how much of your your love and your passion comes through for your teaching, but what are other things that you have in your life that make you who you are? 
So I love, love, love. Um, I just got into um, hand lettering recently. I'm a huge like words of affirmation person. So I love like making like notes and writing cards. Um, I got to the point now where I barely buy cards from the store. Like I'll buy blank cards and I'll write, I'll make my own card. I'm not the best at it, but I love the personal like aspect of it. Cause it's like, you know, you took the time to make this for me. Um, I love spending time with kids like babysitting. I know that's part of teaching a little bit, but um, I have kids that um, are in my kids ministry class or that um, I just connected with. Are you familiar with Chick-fil-A in the States? No, you haven't. It's a, it's a um, huge like restaurant chain. I used to work there. So like a lot of moms that would come through or moms I connected with, I call them their children, my littles. So um, I would spend time with my little, my littles, my little loves is what I call them (laughs) or, um, or yoga. I love yoga and I love traveling. Yes. Those are my things outside. We could talk forever about those two things alone. (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. Like yoga is like more than people just think it's like, Oh, just Zen and peaceful. And it is, but it's also about challenging yourself because mm-hmm. some of those poses you can't just, no, you just can't hop into. <laughs> That's right. And even just the lifestyle of it. And the, it's so deep. Oh my gosh. Yoga in itself is, is so deep. Yes. Uh, oh my goodness. Brianna. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so do you have your own personal yoga practice then? Um, I'm trying to like form it right now. I go mm-hmm. to, um, I practice with a little studio here in my hometown. They do vinyasa flow yoga. And mm-hmm. it's so funny because um, they also do like other um, workout classes. And my friends, the instructors make me laugh because every time I walk through the door, I'd be like, I'm here for vinyasa this morning. And they said, Bree, you and this vinyasa is so slow and so like peaceful. They said, I need to be moving. I said, nope, my life is already like booming and busy and I need something to slow me down. And um, mm-hmm. and then I also found um, yoga with Adrienne. Yes, oh, yeah, and yoga with great. Cassandra. Uh, I'm, I'm leaning more towards yoga with Cassandra. I don't know. I just, I like her practice a little bit more, but I do that at home. I'm trying to get to the point where like I can make my own yoga routine, but uh-huh. I'm still a baby beginner. So I'll get there one day. I love that you're working through that though. That's amazing. And I love as well too, that you were talking about how your life is just so chaotic. So you need that balance. When people find out that yes. I teach yin and restorative yoga they're like uh, what you do that <laughs> I'm like yes and I love it and it's actually it's so interesting too because right up until we get right into the practice I'm just doing me you know kind of thing just having yes. these chats and then by the end of it people are like oh my gosh you can actually be in chill mode I'm like guys a lot of people only know me at surface level which is fast go mode all the time yes uh, <laughs> like, yes we so really more that. than that <laughs> Yes, because I always get the, um, can I elaborate on this? Yes. So um, in high school, I really wasn't like this busy bee person. But in college, somehow, I just turned into this person who was always like doing school, work, friends, like always around people, always social. Like, like literally, um, I had a calendar and like people would have to be like, what's on your calendar today? Like, like my friends, like my closest friends would be like, hey, Brie, what's on your calendar? What you got going on? Because I know you always have something going on. Even till this day, um, after college, I'm learning that I need to slow down Mm -hmm. and be a little more sustainable in my self care. But it's funny, because like you said, surface level, people still think I'm this like jet setter, Mm -hmm. weekends, always doing something. And I'm like, that's why you yoga because you don't, (laughs) you have to focus, you have to just be in one place and just 
melt everything away. Yeah. And good for you for acknowledging that and even just turning that into a personal practice because some people never find that balance, right? Or they never find something that they can do that helps bring them back to center. Yes. And um, doing my master's in first year, actually it was teaching and then adding my master's on top of that, that year that, that had me realize that the self-care or quote unquote self-care I thought I was doing in college was sustaining me is not going to sustain me in teaching. And of course it's part of like growing in life, but I was like, man, staying up till three o'clock in the morning, having friends just come over whenever they want or whatever I was doing before, it's not the same for me now. So I'm like, Mm -hmm. I need to find more sustainable um, self-care practices and practices for myself that will actually tend to my mental health and take care of myself. Cause Amanda, I used to, I used to keep going until I broke down and I don't do that anymore. Yeah. That was another thing just about June in particular too. I always find Mm -hmm. that June just hits me and it's, for some silly reason, it's a surprise every June, June comes around and I'm like, all of these things that a teacher has to do in June. And I feel so overwhelmed in June. Mind you, it's also like full-time podcasting in addition to just being a full-time teacher has been a new thing for me to navigate. But June as a teacher is ludicrous. It is. It's like, there's those those certain months for in in my district, it's February because we have so many IEP meetings and um, other like deadlines we have to meet. So I'm like, February is always the the jam-packed month. So I always tell people, I'm like, man, if I see you in February, I really love you. Because I feel like you, June is like, for you, June is like, oh my goodness, all the teacher things. And I act so surprised. Well, that's February for yeah. me too. I love that you just said self-care because I always love knowing. I did a podcast a couple of weeks ago with Paul Fishman about self-love and self-care. And predominantly self-love is what we talked about because a lot of people get them mixed up and they think that going for a mani-pedi is self-love and it's like, "Mm, nope, that's self-care. But that self-care doesn't always translate into self-love for everyone. It might for some, but if you're sitting there and you're worrying about how much money you're spending while you're getting that mani-pedi, it's not actually self-love because it's going to create more internal stresses for you. So I love knowing what personal practices or things people have in their life that help you maintain your mental well-being. Um, so... Like I said before, I'm a huge um, spiritual person. I am a Christian, so I like to connect with my spirituality. And um, I say that because like religion and relationship are different when it comes to Christianity. Um, And I used to be that Christian that was like very religious. And now I'm turning to that Christian that's very relational. So keeping like a relational um, connection with, with God and Jesus in my life definitely helps me with my self-care and then I also love Disney Hmm. I'm a huge Disney Disney fan I can sit here and watch Frozen 2 all day Mm -hmm. because I just find some kind of like um connection with it I'm a words of affirmation person so if I'm watching a movie or watching a favorite show I always like find some quote in there that I'm like oh that just hit my heart so good let me write it down which leads me into journaling I like to I'm not the best writer I don't know how I passed English in college and high school, but um, <laughs> I will sit there and just jot down like notes and notes of whatever's on my mind because um, I just connect to it. And I think that's like the basis of my self-care is like the connection. What do I feel connected to that I feel like really just helped me? I don't know. I wouldn't say sustain, but like it just makes me feel like comfortable. Like, okay, this is what I resonate with. That makes me feel really good and like 
get back to myself. That's probably what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. What is something that can instantly take you from a bad mood to a good mood? Hmm. Let's see. Disney, honestly. Um, I used to watch Tarzan all the time. They used to be my movie that I'll put on and I'm like, man, that'll take me from a really sad mood to a good mood. Now it's um, Princess and the Frog. That movie makes me laugh oh. every single time. <laughs> it's, it's so funny. The little mosquito, right? Oh my gosh, he's hilarious. <laughs> I also think the pl- the predictability of knowing a movie inside out uh-huh. and kind of knowing what's coming, like there's something so soothing about that. Yes. Yes. I was actually talking to a friend about that. Um, so sometimes I do have like some anxious thoughts and I texted her and I was like, I realized that when I'm feeling a little bit anxious or when I'm feeling stressed, I'll binge watch. Well, no, when I'm feeling stressed, I'll binge watch a new show. But when I'm feeling anxious, I'll watch a show that, that I've already seen or a movie I've already seen. And she was like, yeah, because it's just like mindless mindless talking it's not the word she used but like it's just kind of mindless and you know it and it's it's like comfortable to you and I was like oh man Mm -hmm. this is why I love Prince and the Frog (laughs) yeah you know what's coming (laughs) yes I do and and it's still funny every single time like it never gets old yeah I feel like a movie like that for me is like going way back playback would actually be the Lion King (gasps) and then poor Riley had to sit with me through watching the new Lion King we rented it in January uh-huh. And I was sobbing like at the beginning of the movie because like it brought so much back for me. But watching yes. The Lion King at the beginning and everything about it, he's like, honey, are you OK? I was like, I'm so happy. It just brings the emotions out of you. Like Disney is like, I know. Everyone's like Disney's for kids. I'm like, nope, you're wrong. I've got yeah. my hand up. Like, stop. Nope. It is for everybody. Like, it is. Oh, I love that so much. Okay, I had a question about social media in particular because it's a love-hate relationship. I think everyone loves it. Everyone has reasons why they hate it. However, that is, I have Instagram to thank for connecting with you. Yeah. And the neat thing about this podcast ultimately is that one of the lovely things that has come out of COVID is that now I can open up my guest list to the entire world and I'm loving that. So learning how to remotely record has been an uphill battle, but I'm figuring it out. And I love that it means that I can just network with someone online, be like, hey, you interested? I love what your messaging is. I love the fact that you're a teacher or I love the fact that you're doing this work, whatever. So when I saw your page, I can imagine that with everything going on, with things that have been shared, with the Black Lives Matter movement, with everything going on, this mega revolution, that your following has gone up. Oh yeah, it has. How do you manage that? How or how have you navigated the growth in that? So um, I am very much the person that um, even though I do have my teacher page, I'm very okay with a small following. Like I don't feel like I need to um, preach, quote unquote, preach to the masses. Like I mm. like the people who were who were following me, who were there with me. And so when I went from that huge like two, I think it was twenty seven hundred to I'm over five thousand now. I'm like whoa, like mm-hmm. my mind is blown. Like what is happening? And I had a sense of um, overwhelmingness at first because I was like, what am I going to, what am I going to bring to the table? You know, like, what am I going to say? Like, um, I'm definitely not an expert in a lot of um, like social justices. I just have my experience, but I'm learning that even my experience is something that can be listened to and shared. And we're all still learning. So I'm still learning how to, um, to share that with everybody and how to navigate that. Yeah. These real conversations that are just honoring people as people is so much a part of this growth. 
Yes. I, I had a question written down here actually about because because you mentioned something again. We keep referencing pre-recording because we had the most wonderful video chat we before we started talking. <laughs> I know. And so when we had that, um, I had written down a couple things that I kind of wanted to come back to or, or circle back to. And one of them in particular being the term Oreo, because I've heard it more than once. Um, I've heard people of all skin colors use this term or coconut or things like that. Mm-hmm. I would love for you to elaborate on how that word alone or that reference or term has influenced you. Yes. So Oreo is actually a, um, I'm not sure if it'll be called a microaggression. So please don't quote me on that, but it's definitely a stereotype. So basically it's saying you're black on the outside, which is my skin tone, but on the inside I'm white. And that means that I don't act like a black person, quote unquote, because the stereotypical black person to the world may be somebody who's very um, loud, somebody who's very boisterous, somebody who's hood or ghetto or however they want to define it. It wouldn't be somebody that you see like me. Like I listen to Taylor Swift. I like (laughs) some country music, like things like that, like different characteristics that most people would not assume black people would do and which in itself is wrong. Mm -hmm. So back in high school, I used to be very, like I said, I used to be very proud of the term like, Oh yeah, I'm an Oreo. People would call me that. And I would just laugh and giggle. And I think it was so funny. And the older I get, it's like, no, I am, I'm not an Oreo. I'm a black person just because I'm educated, just because I talk a certain way, just because I have a career, just because I don't do X, Y, and Z in your opinion does not mean I'm less of a black person. I'm still black and I don't have to prove my blackness. And that actually goes for both white and black people. Cause even um, my experience with the black community, I would get called an Oreo by them too. And it actually happened to me um, a couple of months ago um, by a, a close coworker. And I just looked at her and I said, look, I am not accepting that term anymore. No matter how much you think I'm an Oreo, I'm I'm not proving my blackness. That is amazing. Good for you for standing in that. Yes. Was your coworker white or black? She's black. Okay, so she has clearly accepted that term. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, and there's some there's some like there's some people who like for me, and this is why it's so important when doing this kind of work. Um, racial injustice work that you listen to like multiple black voices because I know that I have been asked questions by my white friends or friends who are um, non-persons of color and they'll say well Brie how do you feel about this and I'll say look this is how I see it but I also understand how another black person sees it because my black experience has been different to them mm-hmm. and it's like for one black person Oreo is like oh ha ha funny But for me, Oreo is very offensive to me because of the journey I've had to take in this racial identity healing. Like we talked about that book that I'm taking right now. Like I'm not accepting that anymore. Mm -hmm. So something that I've been trying to navigate on my own personal learning and unlearning journey through this has been trying to figure out my role in this as a privileged white woman when I'm hearing, and I, that's why I love so much. This is why it's brought me back full circle with this, because I love that you've said that your experience is your experience and not all black people are going to have the same experience. Same as all white people aren't going to have the same experience, right? Clearly. Mm -hmm. So in that, I think that there have been some misunderstood messages coming around through social media right now when it comes to allies and allyship and what you can do. But then also 
also getting the message. It's like, we don't need that. I don't want that. Don't come at me about this. Like, so I think that navigating, navigating that is like for those that want to intentionally do better and intentionally move forward and learn and help spread the word and the message and just be a freaking better person. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting. It, it's an interesting journey. I feel like even, even as a privileged white woman to, to be navigating or to be, like you say, interpreting the different messages that you're getting from different people whose experiences are so, so different. Yes. And one thing that I am learning, um, so I was listening to, um, a podcast two weeks ago by Brene Brown. She had, um, a guest on there. His name is Ibram. Yes. Yes. Okay. I do not pronounce things correctly. I'm telling you this and the listeners. <laughs> yeah. It's Ibram, Ibram X. Kendi. Yeah. I listened to the same one. Yes. Thank you. Um, so I always try my best, but when I was listening to him, um, this really listening to him changed my vocabulary because the podcast was how to be anti-racist and it wasn't just for white people. It was for black people, white people, everybody. And Brene Brown's work also talks about shame and vulnerability and their work, both of their works intersected. And I'll never forget this. It was saying how people who are doing this work, you cannot shame them into it. And that's why a lot of, um, this is my interpretation. That's why I feel like some white people, when you call them racist or call them out on their racist um, tendencies, they, they get guilty. They jump back. They get defensive because they feel ashamed. And shame is it's very proven that shame does not push people forward. It actually pushes you backwards. But then Ibram was saying, we must hold people accountable. Accountability is what pe- pushes people forward. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm learning this now that I'm still going to call you out, I'm, but I'm holding you accountable. I'm not going to make you feel ashamed. You know, process that how you want to over there because, you know, I, I say it all the time, like black people, we already have enough to process. So I can't process, you know, your white fragility, your white guilt, mm-hmm. your white um, defensiveness. But what I will do is hold you accountable in that, though. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to make you feel bad. But, li- but listen, like you're feeling bad for a reason. And that's what I need you to focus on to push forward. Mm-hmm. That is so powerful. I listened to that podcast twice, actually. And I oh. loved to. Yeah, because. Well, we both love Brene. We're both we like, diehard fans. Listening Brene, to this one day. one day you're listening, yeah. <laughs> um, so in that same episode, when he was talking about how, uh, you know, the world really works in polarities. And if you're not racist, you're anti-racist. There's no not racist. Right. And even digesting that was like, wow, because think of how many people when they're confronted with the term or if the accusation, you know, wow, you're racist. It's like, I'm not racist well, you're not anti-racist, therefore you're racist because you're not not racist. You can't be not racist. So yeah, that was that was a, that was an interesting one to really digest and just acknowledging how much work it takes to be anti-racist, but how freaking necessary it is. It's very necessary. Like I just always remember growing up, my mom, I was having this conversation with her. Um, so we have a way better relationship now. I should have said that earlier um, in the podcast <laughs> when talking about high school, but we have a great, a way better relationship now. And I remember telling her, I was like, mom, you raised me to be a very diverse and inclusive person. And she did. She never wanted us to just um, see like one black experience, one this experience, one that she wanted us to have an inclusive mindset. And um, I just remember like thinking when I was younger, learning about different cultures, I took that really to heart. So like if I learned something about someone, if I learned that calling somebody this was not appropriate, or if I learned the reason behind why another culture does this, I took that to heart and I was like, hey, y'all are making fun of this. Y'all are making stereotypes, but do you know why? And it's just so important that we Mm -hmm. have like anti-racist education because some people feel like kids 
can't learn that. And yeah, they may not be able to process all the big events, but kids still feel that. Cause I just remember being a kid myself and my mom wanting to have that for me. And growing up now, I look back on it. I'm like, mom, you really raised me to be really good at being inclusive. You really raised me really well. That's what I should have said. Not good. Well, (laughs) that one gets me all the time now, but she raised me really well to have this mindset where it's like, we live in a world of diversity and Mm -hmm. we live in a country that should be built on diversity, Mm -hmm. but we're not as diverse as we want to claim. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so true. I love that you just gave your mom such mega props for that too. Yes, I love her. And if she hears this podcast, she's going to be like, oh, you said it to everybody. I did. (laughs) I love that so much. (laughs) Okay, Brie, I have some safe haven style questions for you. You ready? Yes, ma'am. Okay. What are you most proud of? I am most proud of my growth. Mm. I, um, I'm getting emotional. I really had to like grow into this person I am now, like intentionally. I'm learning that to do self-work, it doesn't just come by a couple of words here, a couple of words there, reading a book here and there. You actually have to work at it and like see your own worth and find your own identity. And I'm so proud of myself and proud of that and the support system that I have that have made me into the person I am. I am now. And that's something I'm, you know, patting myself on the back for. Mm -hmm. As you should be. That's a beautiful answer. Thank you for that. I can tell that that comes from the core too. I have so much respect for that. Thank you. What do you want to be known for? I want to be known for seeing people and supporting people. Um, That is actually um, my um, statement on my Instagram is creating a space for special education teachers to feel seen and supported because I feel like in the, the world that we live in, it, it's so easy to feel like you're lost, like you're not being heard, you're not being seen, you're not being supported. Even if you could be in a room full of people, it's like, man, I still don't feel this way. So what I would want to leave with somebody is, do they feel seen? Do they feel supported? Do they feel like I was able to connect with them? Mm-hmm. Right. I love that. I, and I feel like that's exactly what you're doing. So thank you. Yeah. Keep, keep that up. Anything that I feel like that is so heart led and is so heart driven is going to be successful and is going to be, it's, it's going to continue propelling and perpetuating that, that love and that goodness and feeling seen, feeling heard, feeling loved. So get it girl. Yes. Those three things, like, just like you said it, I'm not sure if you're familiar with um, the Enneagram, but um, I'm a type two and that is like actually a lot of the type two's core, what you just said, feeling seen, feeling heard, feeling appreciated. Mm. I'm actually learning a lot about this Enneagram thing right now. And I, I haven't done the real test yet, but I'm so intrigued by it now. <laughs> oh, I got to send you the link, Amanda. We, we, you know, we've had this long talk now. I got to send you a link. Okay, please send me the link because I will totally do it. Please. <laughs> okay, I have two more for you. Yes, ma'am. There is a lot, a lot, a lot going on in the world right now. There are some mega shifts there's a mega revolution going on right now. The transformations both externally in this world and internally, I think in everyone right now, are gigantic. If someone was to ask you, how are you? How are you, Brie? I am coasting. Mm-hmm. And I mean that in a good way because last week I was very um, numb. So when 
current events such as like George Floyd and Breonna Taylor mm-hmm. and um, so many other names happen, you know, you, you have different kind of reactions to it. And mine was numbing. So the first couple of days I was just numb and then I was really angry and then I was really emotional. And then I felt like this sense of like hope afterwards because so much has, so much progress has happened and just, mm-hmm. um, since George Floyd's death, and I, I don't want to say the wrong number of days, but still, that's a lot to happen. And now I feel like I'm coasting. I'm finally feeling like I can find balance since this whole um, revolution is happening because there's a huge switch between feeling so silent and suppressed for so long to now this revolution is happening and I can actually express a lot on these feelings and experiences and stories that I've had. And it's like, it's like I'm actually like healing. Mm-hmm. That's how I'm doing. I'm, I'm healing. That's, I don't know. That's how, that's how I would say it. I am healing right now, Amanda. Yeah. I love that healing really, if done properly, it will never stop. Like there's always growth and there's always healing to happen because if you're growing, there's the growing pains, right? If you're learning and you're navigating new waters, things are going to come up in that healing process. If you're always looking after yourself. Yeah. Oh, Yes. You're, I could talk to you forever. <laughs> oh, yes, Amanda. We need like a podcast part two. <laughs> I know. You got to come back. <laughs> I should, anytime you want me. Anytime you want me. I'm oh, here. I love it. Okay. Last one is if you had a message for the world, what would it be? Okay. So um, I have been like swirling around in my brain what this could be. And of course, um, Brene Brown, I hope you're listening, but my message would be Brene Brown's quote about vulnerability. And it is vulnerability is the willingness to show up when we can't control the outcome. That is the message I would want to leave with everybody. I know that's not my own words, but because I just love her work so much, um, for me showing up, not even just in this revolution, but just period, like showing up is so hard for everybody to do. We never know, especially for me. Like um, I used to be a person that was like, I'm not going to say anything unless I really know what's going to happen. And now I'm turning to a person where it's like, I'm still going to show up no matter what's going to happen. Because whether somebody doesn't like the fact that you're showing up, whether somebody does like the fact that you're showing up, you still showed up. Mm-hmm. Keep showing up. Yeah. The, the work gets it can get hard, but I feel like by showing up and, and showing up for yourself, because ultimately yes. if you're showing up for other people. If you keep showing up for yourself, like, yes. And it, it really does make a big difference. Like mm-hmm. I'm still navigating that whole message for myself. Um, I do know I want it as a tattoo mm-hmm. <laughs> on mm-hmm. myself because I just really love the message and I'm still navigating this whole vulnerability journey. Um, I'm a very like huge people person, but there are some things that everybody, as everybody does still struggles with and vulnerability is one of those things. So like reading Brene Brown's work about showing up vulnerability, shame, and just kind of exposing yourself. And it's, it's not a weakness to show up. It's actually mm-hmm. a strength. Mm-hmm. So agreed. I just think it's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree with you. Where would people find you on social media? Cause I can assume they're going to want to be like, oh, I want to be friends with Brie. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please guys come, come hang out in my space. So <laughs> my Instagram name is at sped teacher Brie S P E D T E A C H E R B R I. Um, you can find me on there. Hit me up. You can comment on my pictures. Now I'm, I'm not a big poster, but I, like on my feed, but I do love to post stories, you guys, or if you can DM me, I'm, I'm a huge chatter. So mm-hmm. you can find me on there. I have loved this so much. Thank you. 
thank you from the bottom of my gigantic heart for your time today. Oh, thank you for having me, Amanda. I've really enjoyed like speaking with you and connecting with you. I wish I could have like flown to Canada and done oh, this with you. <laughs> I, I wish this was happening sitting on this deck right now with the lake below us. Honestly. Uh, yes. <laughs> oh, well, we will meet in person. I am sure of it. Agreed. Agreed. Road trip, plane, whatever the case may yeah. be after Corona. Has <gasps> come out to the out, mountains. Uh, you know it. We've had this talk. I, I totally will come to that. <laughs> yeah, you will. I'm going to hold you to it. There's that accountability aspect of everything. <laughs> I'm going to hold you to that. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> Brianna, thank you so, so much for your time and for this chat. Your positive energy is contagious and it's people with that energy and that passion for education that we really need leading our young learners now more than ever. To everyone listening, I recognize the privilege that comes with my platform, and I am committed to continuously diversifying my content to create an inclusive space with intention. If this episode has resonated with you in any way, please screenshot the screen while you're listening, send it to all your friends, then share it in your social media accounts. Be sure to tag us so that we can thank you for it. If you can leave a five-star rating and subscribe, even better. Think about some of the things that Brie and I chatted about today. What helps you personally reset best? What practices do you have in place that help you balance when life gets super stressful? It's such a great thing to reflect on. I really appreciate you and the time that you've just spent listening to this podcast. Enjoy the rest of your day and I will talk to you next week.